You are now tuned to the Priority One Subspace Frequency, brought to you by Sayulita.com. Sayulita, Mexico is the closest thing to Planet Risa. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains, and we are back from Las Vegas with episode number 138 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, August 22nd, 2013, live on trekradio.net, and available for download on Mondays on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm James. And I'm Tony. So we are back from Vegas. I miss you guys already. It was my second time meeting oh no actually my third time my third time meeting james and adrienne and then second time with elliot third time with elliot i met him in new york city i keep forgetting these things but first time with tony tony you are a riot good sir well you know i'm glad i can make first impressions still even at my advanced age it was a good first contact mission with tony (laughs) it was it was a very good first contact mission that's good no one danced any funny dances uh, on the jukebox or offered me cheap booze a little disappointed in that, you know. When the Vulcans landed, they at least offered him the cheap booze. But uh, it's all right. It's okay. I'll, I'll still come back. You know, the Vulcans didn't let that, you know, they didn't stop him. So I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back. Okay, Elijah. Yeah. Three favorite moments from Trek Vegas. Go. The first night recording on Thursday night. Okay. The 20-man fleet mission run. Okay. And going out to dinner with you guys. Okay. Those are three good ones. Tony, three top three i have to say that was probably the most fun show ever so i'm gonna go with his top one on the thursday night show thing that was a lot of fun with al renewing his vows on the bridge that was just a great time with you guys on that second for me would probably be when my son stumped that player (laughs) tj with his photonic cannon answer TJ. tj yeah 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 that was that was a moment for a proud father right there that was awesome and then I'm going to go with dinner, too, just because the dinner was so good. That was some of the best Chinese I've ever had. Yeah, dinner was good. That was some of the best Chinese I've ever had. That was fantastic. Dinner at Paris was really good, though, too. The steak I had there was incredible. Yeah, I had In-N-Out Burger that night because my family was just about done with Star Trek in Las Vegas and the whole bit. I've got a 5-year-old and a 10-year-old, and they're about done. As I recall. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Top three favorite moments. Okay, so i got to go with Al's Wedding. You know, of course, having Denise Crosby officiate on the bridge of the Enterprise, being there, being part of it was awesome. Second one, when we were going to dinner at Paris to have those steaks, running into George Takei at the entrance to the Paris Hotel and putting my arms out and going, oh my, and having him go, oh my, right back and give me a hug. It was awesome. That was that was definitely. <laughs> and then Elijah, of course, not believing it and then running into and, and seeing George Takei and his husband like two minutes later. So, and proving him wrong. So, yes, it was an awesome moment. Uh, that was definitely uh, the second. <laughs> Wait, that was like a twofer. No, you're done. You're done. That was two right there. 
one the hug, and the second one proving Elijah wrong. No, that was just icing on the same cake, so it doesn't really count. But the last one is definitely a combo one, but I'm wrapping it all under one cover as getting to meet three of my creative heroes. As an artist and a guy who likes to fabricate and and do artwork and all those types of things, getting to meet Michael Westmore, Doug Drexler, and John Eves all in one day, incredible. I mean, three of my creative heroes, just boom, 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 back to back, all of them turning out to be awesome, fantastic, nice, informative people. Just incredible. Adrienne did an amazing job with all three of her costumes. She did. Can we just put that out there? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? That girl rocked it. Yeah. I mean, lol, she was spot on as lol. She did, yeah. Her her outfits are awesome. If you have not seen pictures of Adrienne as lol. She needs to be on Heroes of Cosplay. Yeah, yeah. But her law was fantastic. Her Romulan was just amazing. And was it Tumor Boy? Was Tumor Boy put up a video of her doing a cover of Barracuda by Heart? Yeah. Yeah, in a Romulan outfit, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Her law was really good, too. Yep. All of them. All three of them were awesome. Yeah. Her law was spot on. And when she got up to sing in her law outfit, I was like, you know who she looks like? And I turned to Jesse and I go... She looks like Winona Ryder in Beetlejuice. Huh. That's right. Because of that short, like, really dark black hair. I was like, she looks like Winona Ryder. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I know what I'm going to do next year at karaoke. Shake, 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 Shinoda. Shake your body body right. right. That's what I'm doing next year. (laughs) You don't want to do the Banana Boat song? No, no. I'm already ruining it, but I'm thinking ahead. And if we get to go, mind you, that's the big word is if, is Shake Shinoda on Thursday night. And then Friday, I'm doing Cuban Pete. Oh, yeah. They're Cuban Pete. Because I'm Cuban B. Get it? There you go. Cuban Pete. That's a good one. (laughs) So, yes, we each had our three most memorable moments, but probably the most amazing moment we had was to sit on the bridge of the freaking Enterprise. Amazing. It was pretty awesome, but I don't know. My my George Takei hug was, was, I think, a little more awesome. I don't know. I got to tell you, I mean, having the opportunity to sit on the bridge of the Enterprise D, albeit with a paper backdrop, it was still something that was out of this world. I don't know that I was able to really comprehend and register what was happening as I sat in the chair because everything was just so fast the entire weekend long. It was just one thing after another, one thing after another. But just to look at the pictures and say, holy crap, I sat on the bridge of the Enterprise. I sat in the captain's chair. That is amazing. We sat on the bridge as a team. We did this together as a team. We worked three organizations, combined their efforts to bring the bridge of the Enterprise D to Las Vegas with the help and the loyalty and the support of the listeners of three organizations, we were able to make this happen at Creation Entertainment's Las Vegas convention. It's true. Pretty epic. And it was awesome. It was. So, Captains, I actually want to put a call out to you guys. If you catch an article about the bridge being at the Las Vegas convention and it doesn't mention anything about the Indiegogo project, shoot us an email. Let us know. We want we want to be able to recognize our listeners for the loyalty and the devotion that they put into making sure that this got done. And so we will write to the editor, to the writer of that article, and say, hey, listen, it'd be nice if you perhaps you mentioned that the bridge was sponsored by the support of three separate organizations and the teamwork to bring the bridge of the Enterprise to Star Trek Las Vegas. But again, without your help, that would not have been possible. We would not have had the feeling as if though it was it was our office to work on the bridge. So special thanks to everyone. It was our office. It was. It really was our office. We were in another every, all weekend long. We were just sort of strolling onto the bridge, like, you know, 
As a matter of fact, like the exit door was sort of in the same place where Captain Picard always went to the ready room. So that was the exit to the people who were going to get their picture taken. We'd just stroll in there and, you know, duck around like, hey, no big thing. We just work here. We just work on the bridge. That's what we do. It kind of was, huh? That's true. I never even thought of that. But again, very special thanks to everyone and really realize that we appreciate everything that you've done. We really do. And to the finest crew in Starfleet, the cast and crew of the Enterprise D restoration project, all the members there that helped bring that bridge there, the hard work that they do in restoring it. Sometimes they can be the unsung hero. Uh, and to them, we tip our hats. A very special thanks to everyone there. Captains, be sure to visit Priority One Podcast for more amazing interviews from Las Vegas with Star Trek Online developers Cryptic Kate, Thomas the Cat, Jesse Heinig, and Al Rivera. For even more amazing coverage of the convention, be sure to visit trekradio.net. Well, boys, Vegas is now just another log entry in our epic adventure across podcast space. So, let's get back into the swing of things, shall we? All right, and let's find out what's coming up in this episode, Tony. What do we got? This week, we check out the highly anticipated fan film Star Trek Renegades with a segment from our interview with art director Scott Nakata and visual effects artist Chris Dawson. Listen to the entire interview over at PriorityOnePodcast.com or subscribe at feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. In Stone News, we cover Legacy of Romulus, Dev Blogs, numbers 37 through 39, and a recap for you all of the Season 8 teasers that left us salivating. Patch notes are included. We have two weeks worth to cover, so stick around for those. And in this episode's field notes, we're joined by Epsilonian of the Aquarius Fleet, one of the first players to be a part of a team that actually beat the no-win scenario. He'll share with us some of his best practices that will get you the coveted Kirk's Protégé title. As always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what we have incoming from you, our listeners. Actually, just when you thought the convention parties were all over... Our Andorian cosplay friends, El, Vinny, and Adorpheus, will be at this year's Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia. The Trek Track will be taking place throughout the con in the Sheraton. So keep an eye out for the gals in the parade at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning and at the Miss Star Trek Universe pageant in the Sheraton at 4 p.m. on Sunday. Adrian will be a participant as well. Well, let's get ready to trek it out with the creative minds behind Star Trek Renegades. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Joining Adrienne and me today is Scott Nakata and Chris Dawson, some of the creative minds behind the highly anticipated fan film project. Scott Nakata is currently the art director for Star Trek Renegades, and Chris Dawson is Team Renegades of Visual Effects, responsible for all the visual effects there at Renegades. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. Thank, thank you. you very much. Now, I'm, I'm curious, is there anything you can say about the story? Obviously, Star Trek Renegades is called Renegades for a good reason, right? We're talking about a crew that the very top brass at Starfleet Intelligence, Tuvok and uh, Admiral Chekhov, have put together. So that's where our story starts off. So Star Trek Renegades follows a good mix of this new crew that we're introducing and familiar elements with Starfleet. So we've got a lot of talented actors on board. We've got a lot of talented professionals who are also Star Trek fans, as Chris pointed out. Obviously, someone like Chris and his background and if you IMDB his background, you would probably freak out like I did. <laughs> but Chris is actually a really great guy. Uh, yeah, it is. We've all got a passion for this, and everyone that is working on this is very talented and professional. 
So it, this has got some really great potential for being a great trek. And if we can pull everything off the way that we want to do it, it's going to be fantastic. So I want to talk a little bit now about the Indiegogo project. So there's a bit of a time crunch. You have a goal, and that goal has been met. You're already, yep. uh, from the time of this interview. 26K plus, yeah. You're at 26K, and but the buck doesn't stop there. You're, you're hoping to reach a bigger budget. Let's talk about those tiers. You have a really good tier on the Indiegogo page that discusses them a little bit, what the goals are, what you can do with more money. Can we cover that a little bit for our audience? Sure. Let's go for it. Just a brief overview, I think. So right now you've hit 20000 and the Indiegogo will continue, and the best goal would be that 200000 correct? Yes. Yeah, it's 100000 for the ultimate goal. So you touched on it earlier, the John Eves question. Obviously, we've brought some very, very recognized talent from past Trek, John Eves, Rick Sternback, and a number of other hands that have worked on Trek as well. Well, one of the things that John Eves is doing for us is he's designed a bridge set for us. And as art director, I would really appreciate and love for this bridge to be built. Part of the reason is the existing set space that we have allocated for the bridge could be better. And if we can build it from scratch, we'll do much better. Absolutely. That means, yeah, I mean, you've seen uh, the artwork on the Indiegogo page. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> John knocked the design out of the ballpark, with the, and kudos to John Eves for doing that for us. He's been fantastic to work with, and he's just immensely talented. So the various other tiers, I mean, yes, the, the $20,000 minimum was what we minimum needed to accomplish basic shooting. So we've got other tiers there, tiers for doing alien sets, alien worlds that we need to create. As Chris touched on earlier, we're going to have to do some green screen extension. I just don't see any way of doing it unless we somehow build a 40-foot-tall set anyway. But (laughs) that being said, the alien sets themselves need to be as practical as possible, so we have to build those. Then we also have to have additional money for better costumes, more and better prosthetics. Mm -hmm. The producers want to do a siphon monolith that actually opens, moves, things like that. Currently, we're not allocated for things like that. And ultimately, if we can, we want to build the bridge for our new cast. So the goal really wasn't 20000 Our ultimate goal is 100000 plus or better. And if we can reach $100,000, we'll go ahead and just use, make sure that all the money is put on the film in front of the cameras in one way or another for the fans to see and ultimately enjoy. If you loved Gods and Men, then you're definitely going to love Star Trek Renegades. And gentlemen, I want to thank you both for stopping by here with us. Are there any last comments you'd love to let our listeners know about? Special secrets, anything, thoughts? For our listeners that want to help us out, but maybe can't afford anything right now, you know what, that's perfectly all right. But if you can't afford anything... Do us the big favor because we have to raise $100,000 uh, to meet our ultimate goal or a little bit more if more. we can yeah. <laughs> uh, that. Help us out if you can't donate by simply telling your friends about 
the the Star Trek Renegades project, about the, our Indiegogo fundraiser, which ends on September 13th, and just spread the word. Put a link up on your Facebook page or or Google Plus, whatever other social media that you use, or word of mouth. Just get the news out there because we really need your help, and that's the way that you can help us out directly or indirectly. So obviously donations would be great, and uh, as a member of the crew, I just want to thank everyone that has supported us and put their donations out there for us already. And um, for those that may have heard about this project through this podcast or through word of mouth, please, we can use your help. And um, I just wanted to thank everyone that's out there, all the Star Trek fans, all the professionals, just really just thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting us and spreading the word. And for all the people who donated via Kickstarter and Indiegogo right now, you're helping make this project happen. And there's only, there's a whole lot of us who are just totally excited to be able to, to be involved in this and to be able to have something to work with, some money to work with is just fantastic. And it'll, it'll happen thanks to all the people that have supported it. And I, I too want to just say thank you so much. We're all volunteering on it. We're all pouring in our blood, sweat, and tears to make it happen, to keep that vision going. And I really, really feel that this is, this is going to be a good track. This is going to be a real good track. You know, this, they've been saying, you know, this isn't your dad's Star Trek, and in some ways it's not. But I'm your dad, and I'm old <laughs> enough almost to be your dad. And I can tell you, I, I love it. It's valid. So. <laughs> yes. And we love it, and we think it's a great concept in production. Again, amazing cast and team, and such passion. And absolutely, I, I think this is, this is just awesome. This is beautiful. So thank you, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for you guys putting out the word too we greatly appreciate it all right it's our pleasure what I, you know I, what i want to say is on behalf of the fans thank you for giving us content that that we're not getting from yeah from the main people right that's you know there's no star trek on tv but we have something like star trek renegades to look forward to content that we can digest and new uh, stuff new, new stuff. stuff which is fantastic yeah. and thank you all for your hard work we hope that this podcast will spread that word and more and more people will will share it and uh, perhaps participate if they can and if not then tweet it and retweet and share it on facebook absolutely all right sounds great thank you all very right. much thank you very guys. much Gentlemen, thank, thank you. you so much. Again, Scott and Chris from Star Trek Renegades. We look forward to uh, to the future. Keep on trekking. <laughs> Live long and prosper, guys. Discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out what happened in Stow News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, Captain. So as you know, over the last few days, actually, we have popped out several episodes highlighting everything that happened in Star Trek Las Vegas. But the big news to many of you, of course, uh, is the dev panel and our interview recap with the devs after their panel. Uh, so if you haven't already heard, we'll, we're going to go ahead and recap a little bit what we learned uh, during the panel and afterwards. Uh, starting with the enemy for season eight, which is the Vaugh. 
That's right, Captains, the Voth. All right, Captains, the next big announcement was, of course, the Dyson Sphere Adventure Zone. Now, this one was fun. That's a biggie. That's a biggie. More importantly, for the way that Al described it in our interview after the panel, which was that your ship can fly through the Dyson Sphere just like you currently fly in sector space. So how he described the lollipop planets in sector space, there'll be giant spires of these buildings from the Dyson Sphere that you can fly up to in your ship and then go into for either space combat or ground combat, whatever it might be. And, of course, territory control. Now, granted, it's PVE territory control, but that's a first step, boys and girls. There's one other thing with our interview with Cryptic Kate. There's going to be a featured episode... Not a featured episode series, a featured episode. Right. A one-off. And that's going to be the link. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's going to link us from the end of the Romulan Reputation series into Season 8. You guys should really be looking forward to that, and that's coming towards the, uh, wouldn't you say, what was it, December? September. September. End of September. So, really soon. But, Captains, if you want to hear all of this awesome awesome information, all of these goodies, all of these teasers, then make sure that you subscribe to Priority One Podcast via feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. All right, Captains, moving on to Legacy of Romulus, dev blog number 37, the Alachi Lockbox. Now, if you don't already know, the Alachi are a mysterious, silent adversary working in concert with the Tal Shiar forces, according to the blog. The Alachi is the name given by Star Trek Online writers to an alien species seen in only one episode of Star Trek. In the episode Silent Enemy, the crew of the Enterprise NX-01 encounter this unnamed, faceless enemy. Now we get to fight him! When looking at this lockbox, it definitely seems very offense-heavy with a lot of goodies for people looking to deal some serious damage. We won't go through every item in the lockbox. For that, just visit the links to the blog in our show notes. But here's what got me thinking, ooh, me likey. Now, at first, I was impressed by the Alachi Sgoth Escort because the little ship looks mean. It really does. I like the design. It looks like it's made to come in, sting ya, and get the heck out. However, I'm going to jump around a little bit and reference Legacy of Romulus dev blog number 38 for the stats of this ship. The ship's got a hull strength of 28,500, which is on par with a science vessel and lower than any other escort available to ship captains of a higher tier. But like the Jem'Hadar attack ship, or aka the Bug, it does have two universal lieutenant slots. It's also got four forward weapon slots and three aft slots. Again, though, it falls short of being impressive with me because of its plus 10 weapon subsystem improvement, as opposed to the Bug or Andorian Kumari, which is set at plus 15. So all in all, I think the ship looks nice, but it seems a bit more like a mosquito than a bee. And don't forget that when comparing this to, like, for instance, a Tal Shiar adapted destroyer, which was another lockbox ship, the destroyer, the Tal Shiar, would smoke this ship. 
But what he didn't mention was that it comes with a universal console called the Crescent Wave Cannon, which is cool. We've all seen it. At least anybody who's fought the Alachi yet have seen it a couple times. It's really cool, like kind of green Crescent Wave Disruptor Cannon thing that shoots out at you. This ability allows the ship to release a massive barrage of Disruptor energy on targets within their uh, frontal cone. So after a brief charge-up period, it will leave your forward shields down for a little bit. That's how powerful this is. You're blasting it out. It's actually ruining your front shields for a bit. There's also a new uh, Alachi, um, gosh, I hope I say this right, Monbosch battleship available through the Lobi store with the Space Transceiver Universal Console. This console will launch crafts that will uh, attempt to use abilities such as Viral Matrix and will also launch support drones that will focus on restoring the shields and hull of nearby allies. So, pretty cool in there. There are also several new Mirror Universe vessels available to the Federation and KDF players, uh, including a Romulan one, which is pretty cool. So, you know, you could put, you have the opportunity to put a, uh, a Fed or a Klingon in a Romulan ship if you want, if you can happen to win that ship. And before we forget, you get a unique bridge on these Alachi ships. And it is pretty cool. I saw a picture of it. And it's, you know, get on over to the still website, check out the pics of it. It's pretty neat. And there's also the new genetic resequencer. So of the genetic resequencer traits that have been made available, for those of you who may not know, these goodies were introduced with the Tashiar lockbox. These are exclusive traits that are only obtainable by opening lockboxes or sold on the exchange under the reward pack category. And the, so there's some new ones in there, so make sure and get over and check them out. Not only that, but we're talking about also the rewards of the lockbox. I remember when the lockbox first came out. And now Rivera came on the show and talked about working on eliminating the buyer remorse, right? That was a big thing for him. I remember that passion and, and, and that hurt he felt when people said, I opened the lockbox, I wasted my money. But now there's enough rewards here where I think that the buyer remorse is fairly eliminated. I might go after something other than a ship in these lockboxes. Heck, I might even go and say to myself, darn it, a ship. I don't want a ship. I want the helmsman. There's a new three-piece Alachi set available to players in the low-buy store. We encourage you to visit Legacy of Romulus Dev Blog 37 for more information. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Legacy of Romulus Dev Blog number 39, new Delithium Mine Feature Project number 5 is called On Display. Special crystals that are found are being put on display around various locations of the interior. The various crystals move around via the light beams. This special project will be available from around 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time this Thursday, August 22, 2013, until around when server maintenance starts on September 5, 2013, or 7 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, whichever is earlier. All right, Captain, so we have a question for you. Have the lockbox prizes helped alleviate any possible buyer's remorse? What rewards are you looking forward to the most with these Alachi lockboxes? Please leave your comments in the comment section below this podcast on PriorityOnePodcast.com or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. And finally, we've got a couple of uh, patch notes. We skipped a week, so I've got two weeks worth of patch notes to talk about here. And just going to hit the highlights on it. First one I want to cover is the fleet leader adjustments. Now, those of you who are longtime fans of the show, no kidding, yay. Uh, longtime fans of the show will remember uh, the Caspian Division and the bad things that happened to them and changes that were inspired because of it. Well, those are now live in the game, and they have been for about a week now. I think this was the August 15th patch notes. But I'm just going to read through the patch notes exactly as they are and get everybody uh, familiar with the new mechanic. If there's a single fleet leader, that leader has not logged in for 180 days, that leader is considered inactive. If a single leader is inactive, a new leader is automatically promoted. The member being promoted must be online to become a new leader. The new leader gets a pop-up telling them that they just became the new leader. 
The new leader is not provisional. They are full leaders with full kick or rescue privileges. We'll talk about those in a second. They can initiate a kick if they wish following a certain rule set. Any non-flagged or non-provisional leader or a full leader can kick another active leader. A kick lasts two weeks. This is the cooldown mechanic that we talked about at the very beginning. If you are flagged as kicked, you cannot use any fleet powers. So a kicked leader can't do anything uh, in the settings, those checkboxes uh, on the fleet control panel. Any non-flagged or non-provisional leader can remove a kick. We call this a rescue. So in this scenario, you need at least three leaders for this to work. One to kick the guy, one to be kicked, and a third guy to rescue the guy that got kicked. Only one kick can be in progress at this time. So once you start a two-week cooldown, that's the only one that can be going. No members can be promoted during a kick. So if you're going to kick somebody from the fleet leader position, everything else goes on hold in your fleet as far as promotion goes. Provisional leaders. These new leaders are considered provisional for two weeks after they're promoted to the fleet leader rank. Provisional leaders have all the leader powers except kick or rescue. Provisional leaders can be kicked instantly by any non-flagged or non-provisional leader. The fleet creator is not considered provisional when the fleet is first formed. He or she is a full leader with full kick rescue privileges. So there it is, kids. Those are the new mechanics. And the advice from Al is if you're happy with your one single fleet leader and you think he's a benevolent tyrant and, and you're happy with him, great. If you have two leaders, that is the least stable environment to be in. To fully take advantage of this new security feature about fleet ownership. Three or more, yeah. Go with three. At least three have to be in place to take full advantage of these uh, security features. Well, that wraps up Stone News. Let's get educated and figure out how to beat the no-win scenario with Epsilonian. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. All right, Captains, joining us today for this episode's Field Notes is the Epsilonian, fleet leader of the 1st Aquarius Division, the first fleet known to have achieved the Tier 5 shipyards back in January. January, correct? That is correct, the end of January. The end of January, and this gentleman here is part of the first group of players known to have defeated the no-win scenario. Welcome to the show. A pleasure to be here. That's an important accomplishment in Stowe gameplay, to have beaten all 10 rounds of the no-win scenario. So I'm sorry that it's taken so long to get you on the show. I'm glad that you reached out to us again when we were discussing it with our Stowe dev guest. Everybody, when I posted it on Twitter, everybody's been excited to find out how. So why don't we get a little bit into the history of it? How, you know, what, what, what did it take at least? Let's let's start at the beginning, shall we? Can we can we start at the beginning? Absolutely. If I want to go beat the no-win scenario, a long, long time ago in a galaxy sort of around here, but 400 years in the future, what do you have to do to beat the no-win scenario? Does it start with a character build? Does it start with your skills? Where do you start? Well, let's start with the history. The history of our group was well. We'd gotten a little bit of attention for ourselves in the first Aquarius Division from our attempts to independently beat the no-win scenario. We had been consistently getting to wave 7 or 8, and it was the first time that we got to wave 8 that we learned that there's a global announcement that goes out when you reach wave 8, 9, or beat the scenario. As a result, our group was known and noticed by a couple of other people who had been trying at the time, 
to beat the no one scenario. And that global announcement was our calling card saying, hey, there are people out there who are trying and are being pretty successful so far. So to get to that level eight, did you have to start with a build or did you just take any old character in there? Or did you guys start with a fresh character and go, I need a respec? just to do this? Well, we started with the characters as we had them. It wasn't much of theory crafting in terms of skills as much as it was what we set our ships up with, what we set our bridge officer powers with, and a couple of other things we were trying out here and there. Our initial idea was have as many things as we can healing the civilian transport so it doesn't die, and have relatively few things go and try and kill all the enemies, which works absolutely fabulous to rate around five or six, starts getting iffy around 7, and it's nearly impossible to beat 8 with uh, dedicated healers, numerous as they may be. Alright, so after trial and error, what was the setup that you guys finally settled on to think, alright, this is where, this is what's going to be successful in the long run at levels 8, 9, and 10? Certainly. The no-win scenario is a special sort of fleet action. It awards fleet marks. And the overall goal of it is to protect a non-mobile NPC uh, effectively target with about 2 million HP, fair amount of shields. And those numbers sound big, but when you've got enemies attacking at you from all sides, it can be a little bit smaller than you want it to be. The enemies vary depending on what you bring in, be it a KDF or KDF ally, or Federation or Fe Federation ally. And you've got many of the different races in the game that are enemy NPCs for that. For example, you will find Klingons attacking the civilian transport if you're going in as a Federation. You will find a chance of the Fakiri attacking the transport if you go in as Klingons. Effectively, what you need to do is keep the ship alive by killing all the enemies that warp in, and later waves get a little bit more difficult because starting around wave 5 and as you progress, there are turrets these turrets start spewing out warheads, these warheads have a point defense system, and that point defense system can tear you up something fierce. Eventually when you get into wave 10, you've got about 15 enemy ships on four different sides coming in, turrets spewing out three or four of those warheads every 15 to 20 seconds, and a big mess if you don't know what you're doing. Now, what is the general, we, we touched already a little bit uh, about this, what is the general strategy for the no-win scenario. The the average pug or the average team that goes in, generally their focus is save save the NPC. Save the NPC, bring a healer, 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 healer. What other strategies have you seen be performed that are more commonly known? Well, uh, that's a good question. Commonly used tactic that I've seen is, well, all the enemies need to be dead for a wave to complete. So bring in things that do as much damage as possible, kill everything as fast as you can, and uh, that'll make sure the wave's gone. At least that's the common thought. Alright, so let's get to the nitty-gritty, right? What team do you assemble before going into the no-win scenario? Well, the team that we assemble consists primarily of escorts or escort analogs that have a lieutenant commander slot that can fit either a science or universal that's converted to a science. That slot gives you access to a science power known as Gravity Well. You may have seen it, and you may love it, or you may hate it. Gravity Well has an area of effect that is targeted on the enemy NPC that you select. What it does is it starts pulling in the enemies to that area and doing damage over time. The strength of the pull is dependent on your AUX power and your Graviton Generator skill. The higher these are, the stronger the pull. 
Likewise, if you stack two gravity wells on top of each other, you get additive pulling, which can basically cause all the enemies to go like little boats circling a drain. Another important skill that you can use with that science slot that you have is Tractor Beam Repulsors. Now, Tractor Beam Repulsors is a double-edged sword. If you don't know what you're doing with it, you're going to make things a lot worse for yourself. If you know how to use it, you're going to make things a whole lot easier for yourself. Now, Tractor Beam Repulsors. Again, another aux-based science skill. What it does is it acts like, in a sense, an anti-gravity well. It puts you at the center of it, and for 10 seconds, for 10 pulses, one pulse a second, it will push as many ships that are around you away and push them past five kilometers. Now, if they're outside the five kilometers, it's not going to affect them. If they are within the five kilometers, it'll try to push them outside. Heavier enemies or enemies that are like dreadnoughts or ships that don't move at all will be pushed less or not at all. And the other benefit of tractor beam repulsors is it does direct to hull kinetic damage. So what this means is it will hit right through the shields and any low HP targets, such as interceptors, to a certain degree frigates, and most importantly, the incoming bioneural warheads, will take damage to their relatively low hull, which can actually end up killing those enemies for you without having to shoot at them. These two science powers form the foundation of what ended up being our Wave 10 building uh, ships. So, let me get this straight. So, it's not just about healing it. I'm trying to picture this in my head, and what I'm seeing in my head is there's one guy closer to the NPC hitting tractor beam repulsor, and then there's one guy out a little ways throwing a bunch of gravity wells to pull them farther out. Is that the type of strategy you use? What I mean, I'm sure it's not just about the powers, but a little bit about the strategy. What type of strategy do you use? Well, actually, what you're seeing is a little bit wrong. What you want in an ideal situation is for one ship to actually be doing both of those things. The ship basically puts its aft end pointing towards the transport. The enemies will warp in generally on the four positions of the compass rows, north, south, east, and west. Although for a couple of waves this varies, the uh, most notable exception being wave five, where you have a semicircle from east through south to southwest and uh, west. And generally speaking, again, you'll have your aft to the civilian transport pointing out in a direction about two or three kilometers away from the transport and the enemies will warp in in front of you. And what you do is you throw down the gravity well, use tractor beam repulsors to push them back into that gravity well, they don't get close enough to the transport to do damage, and you get to use your AOE attacks, generally cannon scatter volley, to go and shoot at the front sides of all these ships. A couple of enemy types I'll go into later. You don't want to be in front of them because they have some nasty science powers like Viral Matrix, and if you're in their front cone, they are not going to treat you very nicely. So the name of the game really is crowd control. You want to keep them away from the transport so that you don't have to heal it, and you want to keep yourself between the transport and the bad guy's ship, so if they do start shooting, they're shooting at you, not the transport. That's what you want to have happen. Unfortunately, the AI of the no-win scenario seems hell-bent on destroying that transport, so for good or bad, the enemy NPCs most of the time will be targeting the transport rather than you. If you uh, look at their target, it will say civilian transport rather than your ship name. The only exception to this is the bioneural warheads, which will target anything around them that is a ally of your team, be it turrets, be it yourself, be it the transport. 
and any NPC ships that you've aggravated enough that they've somehow managed to stop their single-minded focus on the transport and start trying to kill you instead. All right, so with the AI so hell-bent, as you said, to get on the bad side of the civilian transport, you've got four people at the four points of the compass rose. What's the fifth guy doing? The fifth person is what we ended up calling the floater. Effectively, they are a support ship. Uh, Generally, you're going to still want an escort that's got gravity well and tractor beam repulsors, but you've got a few extra little goodies on that ship that will help make things a little bit easier. Number one, you have the three-piece Mako set, or alternatively, if you're flying as a Klingon, the adapted Honor Guard set. You get the adapted Honor Guard out of the Tier 5... Omega Force, and what ends up happening with that is that you have a beam that you get as a three-piece set bonus. Again, another AUX-based pusher, and this heavy graviton beam will make sure that you can isolate one ship out of the side, preferably something that has a lot of HP, such as their capital ships, or if there is no capital ship on that side, the next biggest ship that you can find. The reason you want to isolate this ship is because the wave will not complete unless all the ships are dead. So if you have one ship still alive, you can go heal up the transport, heal yourselves up, wait for any of your powers to come back, and when everyone's ready, go to the last ship, get into positions, and get ready for the next wave. So that guy is your serious crowd controller. I guess he's not a crowd controller, he's a single ship controller. You want him to play hockey with that one ship and push him around the map and keep him out of range of area of effect attacks. Keep him safe until the until you're ready to start the next wave. The floater also has a secondary responsibility. Once that ship is sufficiently out of range, like 25, 35 kilometers away from the transport, something where it will take some time for that ship to get back, he'll come back and help everyone else kill their ships. And if a single side goes down, say uh, the person on the north goes down, north person will call out saying, north down, floater goes in, fills in the position until north can come back. So you got your floater, you got your four crowd control guys, everything's going swimmingly on the first four levels, and then... You start getting some of those warheads. What do you do with those warheads? Well, the warheads, as mentioned, will try to kill anything that's nearby them, which can be a serious hazard for anyone bringing in a carrier because their carrier pets are going to get torn up by those warheads, even more so in the later levels. What you're going to want to do is take out any warheads that are coming from the transport if you can whenever they come into range because if they come into contact with the transport, not only will their point defense system tear a hole in the shields that is on the side that they're coming in on, but if it comes into contact with bare hull, again, very easy with the point defense system, chewing up its shields on that facing, it's going to do a lot of damage to the hull of that civilian transport. You're not going to like that. So, tractor beam repulsors. Hits the hull directly, pushes the binaural warheads away, and leaves you with a whole bunch of dead warheads, assuming you can keep yourself within those five kilometers, and more hopefully keep your nose pointed at the target, still shooting at it. Another method that you can use to temporarily halt those bioneural warheads coming in, those turrets that shoot them out, unfortunately, are not destroyable. You cannot kill them. However, you can reduce them to 0% hull, and it will start a countdown progress bar, similar to what you may see from some friendly NPCs in some of the story missions, such as the Defiant at the end of Boldly They Road, where it will start healing up over time before it comes back. Those warheads will do the same. Unfortunately, they're against you rather than for you. Fortunately, that shields that they keep, anytime you shoot down their shields, their shields will stay down. The only thing that will come back at the end of that respawn timer is their hull. So if you fly back to the turret, shoot down its shields, 
pole comes back, you've got a direct line to hitting the hole, taking it down again, and starting the countdown again. Now, I read somewhere that you can actually use the warhead itself against the platforms. Is that something you recommend doing? Well, it depends on how ready you are to start the next wave. You can use a gravity well, tractor beam repulsors, etc. to keep the warheads right on top of the platforms, and that will make it a lot easier to go and take down the platform. On the other hand, you've got a minute cooldown on your gravity well before you can start the next wave comfortably. So it's a matter of deciding if you're ready or if you need more time, basically that, or if you can put out enough damage. Generally speaking, if you want to save your gravity well, you can get into position for the wave and intercept the warheads as they come in, but if you want to stop the warheads for a while, take down the platform. Okay, so you've got your team set up, everyone's got gravity well or tractor beam repulsors, and then you've got your scenario put together where everyone's got their assigned roles. So what's the big deal? I mean, why is it so hard to finish the no-win scenario if you're so well prepared for it? Well, part of it comes down to the powers that the enemies can use. For example, you've got the Jemadar, which can be a big pain in the butt because they have attack pattern Omega, which will pull three of your gravity well and tractor beam repulsors, because if uh, any of you know, using attack pattern Omega on yourself, it helps you break free of holds. Same holds true for the enemy. They can break free of the holds that you put up. Likewise, you've got the Orions with their ability to spam out interceptors. If you can do things to take out those little tiny ships, it's great, but unfortunately, they tend to disperse things like your tractor beam repulsors, your uh, cannon scatter volleys, and it makes it a bit harder to go and take down the more important ships and the bioneural warheads as they come in when you've got about 25 different targets on your screen at the same time. Other enemies have their own little gimmicks to them. The general ones that we tend to suggest going against are the Klingons and the Romulans, but mostly it takes preparedness, communication amongst your teammates, because say one person's not ready and they go and kill the last ship, well, that means that side's going to have some serious trouble when the next wave starts. All right. So your favorites are Klingons and Romulans to fight against. Their powers seem to be the most easily dealt with. They're the ones that are least likely to cause serious harm while still being weak enough ships to take down quickly. What you generally want to do with them is be aware that the Klingons still have their isometric charge, which will jump between you, the transport, and any other friendlies that happen to be on the attack path. But if you can survive the ISO charge, then you should be in good shape. Likewise, Romulans, Dideridix's fire out viral matrix. This can be a big problem because you want to be shooting at them, and you want your weapons online, and you don't want to die, so you want your shields online. So if you're going against the Romulans, keep out of their front arc, or alternatively make sure that you keep weapons and shield batteries, preferably the weapon batteries, because if the Romulans are dead, they can't make the transport dead. Wise words, sir. Wise words. I do want to ask one thing. So you've got at one person, essentially, at north, south, east, west. Do you break off at any point, like, or is it, no, you stay there? When we start getting into waves five, and most specifically six, people tend to stay on their compass rose positions. Before then, waves one through four, enemies don't necessarily come in on those sides. If you're aware where the enemies will come in, Everyone can just gravitate to those sides and kill things even faster, but uh, when you're looking at 6 and onward, if you're not in your position, there's no one going to be covering those ships coming in, and the transport will not appreciate that. And with most of the ships being escorts, what type of consoles are you using to protect, right? Because in some cases, you know, some escorts can be glass cannons. 
what type of escorts are you going in on or what type of consoles are you using so that the escort has better survivability? Well, we've got a few tricks up our sleeves. The first one, and probably what I would consider to be the most potent, is the Elite Fleet Shields. Now, there's a variety that you can get, Resilient B or Res B, that resists disruptors, plasma, and antiproton. The point defense system of those bioneural warheads is antiproton, and the weapon types of those Klingons and Romulans are disruptors. They never change the Romulans to use plasma, other than torpedoes when the legacy of Romulus went live. They used to use disruptors with a plasma proc, and you can still see those being used, but you don't see plasma as a weapon type being used. Nonetheless, you will build up a ever-increasing resistance the more that you're shot at by these energy weapons. So what ends up happening is that uh, they take a bit of bite out of the bioneural warheads and out of the enemies that you're facing. However, there are other shields you can use if you don't have access to a fleet that can get you those shields. Adapted Mako gives you a uh, temporary invisibility. Again, Adapted Mako being the same thing as the Klingon Honor Guard regular. It will give you a temporary invisibility from your enemies. You will also have as an option at Reputation 4 on your Romulan Reputation system a proc that you can add to your weapons that temporarily blinds them to your existence, a uh, perception debuff. And for healing powers, you've got a couple of things. You've got hazard emitters, you've got transfer shield strength if you can spare either of them for your ensign sign spot, since you've got your lieutenant spot being taken up by tractor beam repulsors and your lieutenant commander being taken up by a gravwell. You've also got emergency power to shields, which you can run two copies of, run one, hit it, and then by the time the cooldown's done for the other one, you'll be able to use the second, go back, toggling between the first and second copies. A couple of other smaller things like auxiliary structural integrity field, or auxif. And there's one other one, you can use extend shields. Again, it's a slightly higher up engineering power. Generally speaking, we don't need to extend shields to each other. It was a practice we used when we were getting used to how to keep things alive, but every ship since then has become effectively self-sufficient on its own heels. Fascinating. All right, and most of the strategies we've talked about uh, we can find on a Stowiki page, right? That's correct. One of our founding team members ended up putting a walkthrough up on the Stowiki that's currently hosted on Gamepedia. You can find it at stow.gamepedia.com slash mission colon no-win scenario slash walkthrough with a whole bunch of underscores. It will be linked through the kind of people at Priority One, so you don't have to go and write that down. That's right, Captains. You'll find that in the show notes. And what you'll find there is a breakdown of wave by wave where the enemies come from, what the enemies can do, and what you can do to take those enemies down. In addition, it will give you a couple of different tips and tricks to how to better communicate with the people that you're working with. You can also find other consoles and little tricks that you can use to get that last ounce of power that you need to take down the last couple of ships in Wave 10 and become one of Kirk's protégés. <laughs> well, glad somebody's walking around with that title. Well done, sir. Well done. Congratulations to you and your team. Thank you very much. All right, again, Captains, uh, you just listened to a field note segment about how to beat the no-win scenario with the Epsilonian of First Aquarius Division. Epsilonian, thank you so very much for joining us uh, this episode. We hope to have you on again sometime, perhaps for a Fleet Admiral interview or another field note segment. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to it. All right, Captains, let's open up hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? We are getting to know each other. 
Well, we hear from Sean Newboy via the Priority One website. Cool deal on everything. We agree. Yes, and coming from the Stowe forums, here we have the Legacy of Vegas, okay, and Ranger XML says, Dyson Sphere and Both, heck yeah, good times were had, as it seems to be so true, what happens in Vegas does not always stay in Vegas, now if we could see leveling ships and customization interiors before Stowe 2, that'd be nice, they did talk about customizable interiors coming very soon leveling ships they touched on but that's probably that's probably ways out long long ways out if so but customization of interiors was talked about and might be closer than you think chivalry bean writes the dyson sphere was one of my favorite episodes one that i remember even though mostly i remember scotty i love the idea of the dyson sphere agreed sounds like super true that gonna be awesome Midnight Shadow writes in, I spent the entire long weekend tuned to Trek Radio to listen to what spoilers Stoked Radio and Priority One would bring us, and they did not disappoint. Listening along there were many times during the live panels that the audio did not come through very well due to the best reception in there. Well done, guys and gals, for all your hard work getting those of us unable to attend STLV live from the Enterprise D-Bridge, no less. Yes, lots of fun. Thank you, Midnight Shadow. And our next piece comes from Azurian Star, who said, Sounds like everyone is having fun at the convention. Wish I could be there. But, you know, money. Oh, that's true for a lot of people. The news from the dev panel was interesting. Sounds like they adopted my idea of the Dyson Sphere, but disappointed with the talk of more fleet holdings. Small fleets are already hunting with the dilithium mine, and adding more fleet content makes it harder for small fleets to exist. But trust me, it's going to pay off. Alright, and for feedback coming in to us for our Legacy of Vegas supplemental, and again, we want to apologize for the audio recording. Uh, I have a little handheld audio recorder. Nothing sophisticated, nothing extraordinary, but it does the trick. So pardon the ambient noises, etc., etc. Uh, Arcade Master writes, thanks for these. I know it's hard to get a decent audio in an environment with such an insane ambient noise level. Yes, Arcade, it's true. I gotta say, what Gecko says about the new reputation system sounds really, really good. Havam writes in, I'm elated to hear... No updates on PvP around the 2917 mark. New rep, check. New space zone, check. New fleet holding, check. Any of these related to PvP as explicitly mentioned in July 2012 as cryptic? Nope. All right, Mr. Havam. Correct. And if you were listening to that interview, Al jumped right in and said, no, not going to happen. We're not doing PvP updates right now. I think that that's a signal. I think James touched on this a little earlier. They want to get other pieces in place first. This is an overwhelming PvE game. Bingo! Bingo. There it is. And our next one's going to come from Tony Almeida 2, who says, You guys are doing great work. I love listening to these interviews uh, to get information about what will be coming up next. Keep it up. No problem. We love doing it, too, because we're players, and I want to know what's coming next. And I'm a solve, right? So this Dyson Sphere zone, quote-unquote, we're getting, what's the likelihood of us getting something similar, but with an entire solar system in the future? Well, isn't a Dyson Sphere enclosing an entire solar system, at least the inner part of it? Like the inner part of it. No, the diameter of the Dyson Sphere is in the sweet spot of a sun. Right, the Earth orbit. So, but that's, if you think about that, that's that's a good chunk of a solar system. It's not all. But that's like a third. That's a decent-sized space. Think about it. 
by mass wise, it's almost the entire solar system. Yeah, by mass. Yeah, that's true because it's a bubble. That's true. So, I mean, think about that. Think about it, people, and then tell us about it. We want to hear from all of you. Do you have an idea for the show? Did we talk about something that got you thinking? Are you mad at us? Send us your thoughts and feedback to incoming at priorityonepodcast.com or catch us on Facebook, Twitter, or the STO forums. And don't forget to answer this week's community question. What about them lockboxes? Any more buyer's remorse? Did Al finally get it done? What rewards are you looking forward to most with those Alachi lockboxes? Sound off in the forums or on Star Trek Online or on our podcast post on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 138, recorded live on TrekRadio.net. Remember, we are on air every Thursday night at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. Captain's got something to say? Join our team as a guest blogger on PriorityOnePodcast.com. If you have other skills that you believe could enhance our content, then reach out to us via email at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com and try and join our team. We'd love to have you. As you know, we love hearing from you, our loyal listeners. If you have a suggestion, idea, or topic for our Trek It Out segment, or perhaps field notes, or you have general feedback for the show, you can reach us via our online form on the Priority One website, or via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We can also be reached on Facebook or Twitter. And fleet member or not, you can always chat with the team by joining our in-game chat channel. In your chat box, just type forward slash channel underscore join space priority one. You can get up to the minute news from Priority One Podcast by visiting our social media websites. Head over to www.facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast and give us a like or check us out via Twitter at STO Priority One for showtimes and other cool stuff. Priority One is brought to us by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how you can help support the show. A very big, huge, ginormous, Dyson Sphere-sized thank you to everyone who helped support our Indiegogo project and get the Bridge of the Enterprise D to Vegas for us to broadcast from and for umpteen billions of people to sit and take their pictures on. Not to mention all the stars that stopped by so thank you guys seriously to everybody who donated even the smallest amount every bit counted and we really really do thank you and a very special thanks to the epsilonian for helping us beat the no win scenario in this week's field notes thanks to the entire team over at priority one our art director alex calderwood for the amazing business cards and flyers that he made for our vegas trip to our audio engineer and web developer, Lennon Rich, who was back home making sure the content was up on the site for every one of you. Justin Lowmaster, our audio assistant, that helped Lennon make sure that these episodes got done in time. And, of course, to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. A special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com and PlayaEscondida.com. To our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, BlackStarRadio.net, and TrekRadio.net. And of course, to the Stowe community. Without you, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
Transfer complete. Hello, captains, and we are back from Las Vegas with... Right, no way, no way. I'm not starting like this. I'm not starting like this. <laughs> All right, moving on to Legacy of... Uh, I'm going through puberty. <laughs> hey, Elijah. Hey, guys. I miss you. But this sheep... This sheep... <laughs> This sheep seems very underwhelming, sir. The sheep? No, the sheep no, is sheep. no more, no more, no more disruptor for you. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, no. Anyway, but so, yes, this sheep. So. This sheep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we've got sheep and ship and a naughty word that you can't say just yet. I don't, or can we say? It's it after now? nine. I think we're good.